Well, that was such a beautiful time of worship and of prayer and, and uh, just to be able to participate together in uh, that, that kind of time together and prepare our hearts for his word. Uh, I'm so excited about today. Today, we get to talk about the very last chapter. We finish our study in the book of 1 Samuel, 1 Samuel chapter 31. For nine months, we've been working at this together, and I hope you have enjoyed it. I have loved studying it. The Lord has really, really used his word in my life. I've tried to communicate that. I know Pastor John has as well, and uh, just to be able to communicate these things to, to you all has been great. So for nine months, we have said that this is the authority, the authority on life and on godliness coming from his word. And we've tried to preach it that way. We've kind of reveled in those victory passages when, when David succeeded over Goliath uh, or when the, the Israelites would, would defeat the Philistines. We, we exalted in that. That was a great thing. We've tried to be honest and, and dealt uh, thoroughly with passages, those difficult passages, uh, the passages that are hard to understand. And we're gonna have some of that today as well. Uh, and, and, and so as we come to the last chapter, I want to just do a quick review of the book for you. So stick with me here for a little bit. So the book opened with a cry of a hopeless woman, a woman who bore the societal shame of being childless, and that was Hannah. Hannah. And so she cried out to God in her, in her shame. She cried out to the Lord, and the Lord blessed her and gave her a son, and that son was Samuel, and Samuel would become the spiritual leader of Israel, and for years lead Israel on a return to God. As a result of, of this miracle, Hannah cried, her, her, turned her cry into a song, and in her song, which is just in chapter two of 1 Samuel, she says this, there is no one holy like the Lord, there is none besides you, nor is there any rock like our God. And one of the themes that she brought up several times in that song, in that, that Holy Spirit-inspired song, is that God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. And that not only was the theme of her song, but it became a theme of the entire book. And you know, it's a theme throughout all of Scripture. God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. Would you say it with me? God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. So a few chapters later, we saw how this starts to work out, where the proud sons of the priest Eli, the high priest, who were, they were brought to their ruin uh, because of their disobedience and their arrogance before God. And then we saw how the proud enemies of Israel, the Philistines, whose God Dagon fell before the Ark of the Covenant of Israel's God. So Dagon falls before the Lord. Again, the proud, the falling of the proud. Well, at this point, Israel says, you know, we're tired of being Israel led by God alone. We want to have a king like all the other nations. And so God gives them a king. He sends them, he sends them King Saul. King Saul starts out humble, serving God. But gradually, we see this decline. We see his, his pride rise up. And then the rest of the book is the fall of Saul and the exaltation of a new humble man, David, who would become the next king after Saul. So today, we wanna finish our study well. We've spent a lot of time in this book, and we wanna finish, and I'll talk a little later about what's next, but we're looking to finish well. 
And as we look at finishing well here, we, saw that, we see that Saul did not finish well. But yet through Jesus Christ, you and I have the opportunity to finish well, and that's where we're going with this. So let's start in chapter 31. You can open up your Bibles there. Uh, this was the day that Saul was told about. Remember last time, he went to a medium. He went to an occult worker in order to find out God's message. And what he found out was that tomorrow would be the day that you die. And that's what chapter 31 is. 31 is tomorrow for Saul. So let's look at that. The chapter opens with, now the Philistines were fighting against Israel. And the men of Israel fled from before the Philistines and fell slain on Mount Gilboa. So I just want to remind you that the Philistines had, had encamped on one mountain and the Israelites were encamped on Mount Gilboa. Well, they come and they meet in the middle for battle, but the fact that the men of Israel have been slain on Mount Gilboa tells you there's a what? A retreat. Philistines are defeating them. Philistines are, are ruining the army. They're just, just going forward and defeating the army of Israel. The Philistines overtook Saul and his sons, and the Philistines killed Jonathan, Abinadab, and Malkishua, the sons of Saul. So this retreat, the battle is not going well. The Bible here says that Saul died and his sons died. And I struggled with that as I prepared for today. I thought, Lord, I, I get Saul's death. I, he had it coming, right? I mean, we all kind of feel that, like, okay, finally, let's get Saul out of the picture so David can become king. But why his sons? Well, we could say, well, maybe Abinadab and maybe Malkishua, maybe they would have been a threat to David's throne later on. But we know Jonathan wasn't. Jonathan had promised his allegiance to David. He said, David, you will be king and I'll be your right-hand man. I'll be there for you. And we know Jonathan's character enough to know that he meant it and he would have followed through. So why Jonathan? And actually, in 2 Samuel, we'll see there's yet a fourth son uh, whose name is, is uh, Ishbosheth, and he does become a threat to David's throne, but God allowed him to live. Why? Why? And so we have to understand that there are some things in Scripture that we don't understand. God is way beyond us. There are these, these paradoxes in Scripture, especially when it comes to, to things like death and trials and difficulties. But what I love is that the Bible is not afraid to present these honestly to us. The Bible just speaks it and says, yes, there are complicated situations. We had this from the beginning, right? We saw in the very beginning of, of, of the, the scriptures where Abel, a righteous man, a godly man, murdered by his brother. We see, that, see it when David, much later on, when, when David's son is killed because of his own unfaithfulness and the son he had out of wedlock. We see where Uzzah, the, the, the Israelite who reached out his arm to, to steady the Ark of the Covenant was struck down by God. These are hard to understand. Psalm 73, the psalmist says, God, I don't understand why, why the wicked prosper and the righteous do not. Why is this, Lord? These are puzzles. And they are, and we have to speak of these things in our own congregation. I just think there are people here who've experienced the, the death of children or death of grandchildren. Uh, recently, we have a family that's suffering through the, the death of, uh, an untimely death of, of a 30-year-old man. 
very, very difficult times. The Bible is honest and we must be honest. We understand that trouble comes upon us for four reasons, because of our own sin, because of other sins, because we live in a fallen world, or because we have an enemy. But the amazing thing is that God is sovereign over all that. And can we say he uses that or works in spite of that? However we say it, none of that is wasted. God uses every difficulty, every trial. And, and though we may not understand why, and though we may not like it, and we're not, there's nowhere in scripture that says we're supposed to like our trials. But yet God uses them in our lives to refine us. Even in death, he's, he's working. Sometimes I think of people who have suffered long, and I think, God, this, it, it almost seems unfair. They've suffered beyond what I would let them suffer. And God says, but you don't know what I'm doing in their heart. You see, God has the whole picture. And so can we just be honest and say, yes, God is sovereign over life, over death, and his ultimate purpose is for his glory and for our goodness as believers. And we can rest and trust in that. There is a passage in in Isaiah chapter 57 which says something, this is maybe at least one reason why we can come to understand these difficult things about God. It says in Isaiah 57, the righteous man perishes and no man takes it to heart and devout men are taken away while no one understands. For the righteous man is taken away while no one understands. For the righteous man is taken away from evil he, he enters into peace. See, maybe, maybe Saul's sons were taken away for their own peace, that God would grant them peace. So Saul's sons are dead. We're going to pick up in verse three here. It says, the battle went heavily against Saul and the archers hit him. And he was badly wounded by archers. Then Saul said to his armor bearer, draw your sword, pierce me through with it. Otherwise these uncircumcised will come and pierce me through and make sport of me. But his armor bearer would not, for he was greatly afraid. So Saul took his sword and fell on it. When his armor bearer saw that Saul was dead, he also fell on his sword and died with him. Thus Saul died with his three sons, his armor bearer, and all his men on that day together. Oh, what, a, what a tragic day. And, and again, I, I want to speak honestly with you. I had a lot of questions in this passage. I, I struggle with this. You know, was, was Saul desired to not be captured something of honor or something of dishonor? Was, was this suicide or was this an act of war? And, and even his armor bearer, was his armor bearer, did his armor bearer uh, honor Saul in disobeying him? Or did he honor him by not killing him? It's, it's hard to know, a lot of questions. And there are miles of words written about this. You open up commentaries and boy, you go for pages on, on these things. But here's really the point of it, that Saul's death was really the culmination of his life. It was what he had practiced all through his life, that he was his own God, and even in his death, he was going to be sovereign over it and not allow God to be sovereign over it. 
See, Saul's life was, was marked by a slow erosion of humility, a slow erosion of integrity. It was a, a gradual disregard for God and disregard for the condition of his heart and soul before God. So Saul is really kind of a, a case study that we're gonna look at. You know, his, his first recorded act was an act of obedience to God. He heard that the Israelites that were living in Jabesh Gilead were under oppression by the Philistines and the spirit of God came upon him and he obeyed and said, I will go and I'll rescue them. And he did, he rescued the Jabesh Gileadites. And at the end of this, um, some people sought to, to cause a little trouble by this and Saul said, no, 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 no one else will die. This was the Lord's battle and he won it. So you see, from the beginning, Saul is humble, giving credit to God for the work that he did, realizing that he was just an instrument in God's hands. But this started to change. Saul became filled with himself. And, and uh, I don't know if you remember this, but when Israel asked for a king, Samuel warned them. He said, you realize that once you get a king, a king is not going to take care of you the way God has taken care of you because kings will take and take and take and take. And that's what started to happen in Saul's life. So here are some of the, the lowlights of, of Saul's life. You remember his son Jonathan had a great victory and Saul took the credit for it. At one point, Jonathan, not knowing his father had said this, this kind of ridiculous edict, he told his, his army, none of you can eat anything until we win this battle. Well, they're, they're getting hungry, they're starving. David, not knowing the rule, goes and eats some honey and Saul's about to kill him until the, the men step in. There was another point where Saul was gonna to go to battle and he knew he needed to, to wait until Samuel came and would lead the army in a worship service before God. Pressure started to come on and Saul decided he wasn't gonna wait and he'll go on without the blessing of Samuel, without the worship. Then there was another time where God gave Saul specific instructions on how to handle a battle against the Amalekites. And Saul thought, I'll just do it the way I want to do it. He did it the way he wanted. And when Samuel came and said, Saul, what, what have you done? Instead of repenting, Saul just said, Samuel, you know, let's just keep this quiet. And in fact, when we go walk back to the elders of Israel, would you walk back with me so that everybody thinks I'm okay? My reputation looks good. Saul's obsession with himself was kind of, kind of reached a pinnacle when he set up a monument to himself. We don't know that he demanded worship of that monument, but he was exalting himself before, before the nation. Can I use a term that gets thrown around a lot and is probably overused now, but Saul was truly a narcissist. Right? He, he became jealous of everybody. Everybody was seen as a threat, especially David, the next king, the man who would be king maybe, maybe 20 years from when Saul first met him. And Saul's jealousy motivated him to pursue David over and over and tried to kill him in order to thwart God's plan. And the extent of his evil was really seen when he slaughtered an entire city of people just because he thought they were in collusion with David. And then I, as I mentioned, our last view of David before this battle today was 
was David going to a, a worker of the occult in order to try to ascertain some words from God. And the thing is, we all know Saul's. And, I, and I, I'm afraid to say it, some of us might even be Saul's, right? But we know people like this. We know people who are like Saul, and, and we struggle with them. We wrestle with these people. We don't like them. We don't like who they are. We don't like what they do to us. We don't like their effect. These are people who must be on top. People who have to win the argument. People who are make dis- making decisions for, for their self-protection at the expense of anybody around them. People who have put their reputation or their appearance or their image as more important than anything else. People who may know their shortcomings but excuse them because it's somebody else's fault that they have that shortcoming. You see, in Saul's heart, God was not his God. He was his God. What's scary about this is that Saul belonged to God's people. Saul was an Israelite. He was one of the chosen race. But God was not his God. So it's very possible for you and I to be here and to have God not be our God, even though we're sitting in a church with believers. It's possible that God is not your God, that you have made yourself your God. You see, Saul became his own sovereign. And because he was his own sovereign, he could no longer hear God calling. And God had given him him repeated opportunities for mercy. Saul didn't hear it. Saul didn't see it. Think about this, even in his death, you know, we're told that his sons died, but we're given the specifics about Saul's death. the, armors, the archers had pierced him. So here's Saul, pierced with arrows now. He, know, he knows he can't pull him out, right? And he knows he's going to die. And I picture the scene. He's on his knees and he's looking at himself thinking, what do I do? And it's an opportunity for him to cry out to God. God, what have I done? Look at my life. God, I want to turn to you. I want to repent of the things I've done. Repent of my rejection of you and turn to you. And instead of crying out to God, he cries out to his armor bearer. Kill me so those Philistines don't get me. What's most important to Saul still? His reputation. His reputation is still the most important thing. Even at this point of death, Saul here chose death over forgiveness. He chose demise over mercy. And you know, as you think about this, this is anybody who dies without Christ in their life is making that choice. They're choosing death over forgiveness. They're choosing demise over mercy. See, Christ, God through Christ offers mercy, offers forgiveness, offers abundant life. And when we die having lived a life of rejection of Christ and even in the moment of death, still rejecting Christ, we're saying, I choose death over life, over forgiveness, over joy, over mercy. I'm reminded of Jesus's words, these sad words where he says, small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life and only a few find it. And the scary part of this is that you can be a part of a church community and still be like Saul. 
It is possible to be a churchgoer. It's possible to have a strong community presence. It's possible to be living a, a life that has a great reputation, but in your heart be rejecting the Lord. So the questions that you and I need to take today and, and ask ourselves is, is our reputation more important than the way we serve other people? Is my getting my way with my spouse or with an opportunity at work or on my church committee that I serve, is my getting my way more important than considering others as more important than myself, as Christ says they should be? Is the gap between my public life and my private life growing? Is the gap between my reputation and my heart becoming bigger? If the answer is yes to any of those, then it is quite possible that it may indicate that you have silenced God in your life. And if you've silenced God in your life, it means that you've put yourself on the throne. Because if God's on the throne in your heart, you're gonna listen. You're gonna hear, you're gonna obey. Oh, it's a struggle to do those things, right? For all of us, it's not easy to do those things. But through the Holy Spirit working in us, we're able to do that. If God is silenced in your life, you cannot finish well. Saul didn't finish well because God was silenced. You know, even if Saul had died a glorious death, even if it was a, a mighty battle and he was sort of heroic and died in a, in a heroic way, he still would have had to face his maker and say to God at that point, yeah, you really were never king in my heart. I was the king. I was the king of Israel and I was the king of my heart. Verses six and seven talk about a, a further tragedy here in his death. You see, this was Saul's last day. Saul became king so that he would lead Israel in getting rid of the Philistine problem. And here he is, defeated by the very ones he was supposed to eliminate. And not only was he defeated, but all of Israel was defeated. See, the Philistines at this point had, had worked their way into the, the country of Israel. And even the civilians are so afraid that they flee, even the people beyond the Jordan are fleeing. So what this tells us is that the Philistines had basically charged in and have split the nation. There's a North Israel, there's the Philistine band, and a, the South of Israel. They've completely weakened the country. And all of this, all of this, because of Saul's rebellion against God. You see, our sin is not just our business, is it? Our sin has an effect on people. Saul's a picture of this. You see, sin blinded Saul. Sin made Saul think that he really was the center of the universe. Sin made Saul think that his sins were hidden and that nobody really saw them, that his reputation as king covered that up. Sin made Saul think that his sins really didn't have a, too bad of an effect in his own life and certainly less in others' lives. But let me tell you, sin hides its poison. But when it has its opportunity, it sprays it on you and it sprays it on all the people around you. You see, our sin is not our own problem. Our sin becomes a, a, an effect on everybody. 
And though he thought he was hiding it, it was seeping out and others could see it. And more importantly, God, God could see it. See, God sees our heart. One of the themes that we have seen through 1 Samuel over and over and over is that God sees the heart and God wants our heart. Yes, he wants obedience, but only if it comes from a heart of obedience. Obedience that's not from a heart of obedience is hypocrisy. God has no interest in that. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. When our hearts are humble before God and we are seeking to obey him in that way, God exalts and gives grace to the humble. Oh, the rest of the chapter goes on to say that Paul was, or Saul was beheaded, that his body was, was hung on the walls of Beth Sham. What's interesting is if, if you go to Israel today, you can still see the foundations of the very walls that his body was hung on. And then his armor was put into the the temples of the false god of the Philistines and the Philistines worshiped their god because of the great victory that they had. All of these things, even worship of false gods, the result of Saul's disobedience. Man, what a heavy chapter. It's been tough. This has been tough stuff to, to preach and to bring to you, but we, we have to take it seriously. This is what God has for us. The chapter closes with this. It says, now when the inhabitants of Jabesh Gilead heard what Saul had, or what the Philistines had done to Saul, all the valiant men wa- rose and walked all night and took the body of Saul and the bodies of his sons from the wall of Bethshan, and they came to Jabesh where they burned where they burned them there. So here's what happened. Remember Jabesh Gilead was Saul's first act as king where he rescued the people from there from the threat of the Philistines. These men, probably 15, 20 years later, still thankful for that one good work of Saul and they honored him by by removing his body from the Philistines and they burned his body probably because at this point it was was corroded or or, corrupted by death. And uh, so, and then it says they took their bones and burned them under the tamarisk tree at Jabesh and fasted for seven days. What a sad ending for Saul. What a sad ending for humanity. Wait, it's not humanity's ending, right? This is just Saul's end. But it's sad for humanity because of this. You see, Saul was the king of Israel. The king of Israel was supposed to lead the nation in leading others to God. See, the whole purpose, the whole reason why Israel existed was because God wanted to show who he was through them to the rest of the world. I'm gonna back up even farther. You see, we had to have an Israel because Adam messed up. See, that was Adam's fault there, or this was Adam's purpose, I should say. Adam was created in the perfect image of God. Adam was to reflect God to the rest of the world. His job was to be the king of the world and to to speak God's lessons and teach all of mankind about who God was. Well, when Adam and Eve, our first parents, decided that they wanted to do things their own way, that perfect image of God was broken in them. And that broken image got passed on to all of humanity. So you and I bear that. 
So God, seeing that Adam failed that, later on said, okay, I will, I will raise up another man, this man Abraham. Abraham, though he too bears that fallen image, Abraham, I'm choosing you, and out of you I'm going to create a nation, and through that nation you're going to tell the whole world about me, and all the world will be blessed by this nation of Israel. Well, the nation of Israel begins to fail at that. And so they call for a king, but this is all part of God's plan because God's plan was to to raise up a king, a king who would return Israel to him and who would then take Israel on their mission and their co-mission to bring the word of God to the rest of the world. But that king failed. So God's gonna raise up another one, King David. He's gonna be the greatest king of Israel and becomes the standard of all the kings of Israel. Every other king following David is measured against David. But even David will fail. See, here's the point. Man cannot solve man's problems. Humanity cannot solve the human problem of sin. When when all of this is happening, God says, David, out of you, I will bring a king who doesn't have that broken image. I will bring a king who will solve the sin problem because only I can do it, God says. Man cannot do it. And so we look to God, we, 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 we look to God to solve the problem. That king is Jesus, his son. Jesus, who doesn't have that broken image of God. Jesus, who didn't inherit the broken image through an earthly father because God himself was his father. So Jesus is not broken. See, over and over it's been proved that man can't solve his problem. Adam failed, Abraham failed, Israel failed, Saul failed, David failed. Jesus will not fail. Jesus has not failed. And though, People may look at the cross and say, oh, Jesus, man, he didn't finish well, did he? Crucifixion, bad ending for Jesus. But Jesus said, it is finished. And when he said, it is finished, he's saying, the problem of humanity, it's done. I fixed it. I fixed the problem on the cross and by rising from the dead. You see, the the point is this, without Jesus, we really are all like Saul's. And in fact, in, in, this, in this room right here, there's only two kinds of people. There are people who remember that they were like Saul, and there are people who are like Saul now, right? Because, because if you remember that you, you, you were like Saul, but Jesus changed your life, you're a believer, but maybe you're not a believer, and so, so you're like Saul now, and again, all you have if you are like Saul now is the trajectory that Saul was on and the hope of Saul, which is no hope at all. Think about Saul. He was in control of his life, but his life was out of control, right? And and that's how it is. When we're in control, life is out of control. And Saul minimized God, he silenced God, he disregarded God, he ignored God's power, he didn't take God seriously, and even though through Throughout his life, God gave him chance after chance after chance. And Saul said, no, no, I want my way. Yeah, 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 sure, God, I get it. I want my way. I'm gonna do it my way. 
and his life did not finish well. So Saul's an example, and actually the whole Old Testament is an example pointing us to the fact that man can't solve man's problems. Only Jesus can. And there are many churches that will say, oh, Jesus is, is just a good example to follow. He is not just a good example to follow. You see, he was the fixer of the problem. He's the solver of the problem. He is the savior. He is the king that, that came to do what Israel couldn't do. You see, when Jesus came, he came not just to be the example. He came to declare the reality of God to declare the truth of God, to declare the love of God, to declare the forgiveness of God, and he not only declared it, he lived it, and he gave it. See, he gave it to us through himself when he gave. Remember, the king is is gonna take, 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 take. Jesus is a king who gives, 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 and keeps on giving, because that's what he came to do. He came to give himself He gave himself to die on the cross so that you and I are not subject to the fate of Saul. He came to die on the cross in order to to pay the penalty for the sin that stands in the way of us having a relationship with God. And his death on the cross says, now John, now whoever you are, you can finish well because you will face God and if you've put your faith and hope and trust In my work on the cross, you can face face God and say, your son paid for me. I'm here because of your son. And God welcomes us in. That's what he does. It is finished. Christ has done the work, and you and I just need to receive that work. See, and this was God's plan all along. All through this, God planned to rescue Adam-bound sinners and Saul-bound sinners. And here's what he said to David. He said, when your days are complete and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your descendant after you who shall come forth from you and I will establish a kingdom. He will be great and he will be called the son of the most high and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. But as for me, God says, I have installed my king upon Zion. The human kings aren't gonna work anymore. But I have installed my king upon Zion, my holy mountain, and that king is Jesus. There will be no end to the increase of his government or of his peace. And on the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it, to uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. And he, Jesus, is the radiance of his glory and the exact representation of his nature and upholds all things by the word of his power. When he had made purification of sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Do you get what this is saying here? Jesus is the exact representation the exact representation of God. He represents God. He is the perfect image of God. And because he was the perfect image of God, he made purifications for sins. Not his own, he had none. He made purification for your and my sin, which means he took care of the sin problem. It no longer has to stand against us, accusing us over and over and over. Now instead, God looks at us and says, you're forgiven. And that happens through an act of faith of saying, I trust in the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. See, God gives and gives and gives. He gives grace to the humble. 
He gives forgiveness. He gives abundant life now and eternal life forever. He gives, he gives the ability to be called sons and daughters of the Most High God. The ability to be called citizens in God's kingdom. God just gives and gives and gives. And when we humble ourselves before God, our eyes are finally open to see all along he has been giving opportunities to us, one after the other, just inviting us, give up your pride. Give up the throne. Put me there. You see, he is the king who judges in peace, judges with righteousness, who judges with fairness. He is the king of kings, and you and I have the opportunity to take him and let him be the king of our own hearts now. We're gonna sing a song in Christ alone because it is only in him. There is no other king. There is no other way of salvation. There is no other, other option to come to life but through Jesus Christ. So let's stand together now as we sing this song.